0: be like mean oh oh there we go <laughs> he just, he just, just he surprised me that scared me a little bit <laughs> just, like, just got me
1: i just wanted to catch bert while he was still here <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's gotta make an appearance every every episode it's the carmen san diego of our group <laughs> just chasing him all over
1: i gotta wait <laughs>
0: They're so professionals. Mm-hmm. We know what we're doing.
1: Yeah. I mean look at me. I look like a jump scare. And you look like a <laughs> <the> hologram. <laughs> I'm <laughs> ready. I am just about ready. Yeah. There's not there's not much that's gonna fix this today. <laughs> just build
0: You're just gonna have to run with it.
1: Yeah.
0: You can do it. Can't be gorgeous I,
1: can time. Do it. I had scheduled my my. Vax to the max uh, yesterday, which Mm -hmm. is why I'm clammy and uh, not myself. But yeah, (laughs) my pin cushion of a shoulder,
0: oh my god, a a
1: little clammy, possibly feverish.
0: But the show must go on. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know what I'm going through, but it's like middle age puberty. Like my voice was kind of cracking, (laughs) disappearing for a while. And I'm like, what is happening?
1: I hear that that's a side effect of the vaccination as well. Oh my gosh.
0: But Uh, we're going to
1: have like, we're going to be placed right next to Joe Rogan.
0: Here we go. Like, this is actually a cup of bleach just (laughs) to make sure I don't get COVID.
1: Just Cheers, little... yes, to stay healthy. Ooh.
0: Okay, welcome everybody to Table for Deuce. I am here with the sweaty <laughs> Kate Hanson Foster, who can be described as the literary love child of Kid Rock and Fred Durst. She's the author of *Crow Funeral* and *Middrift*, and is said to have the emotional warmth of a damp sock. Welcome, everybody, True. or welcome her. Cheers.
1: True. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yes. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael Schmelter, my co-host, very talented writer, author of *Empire of Surrender* and *Blood Song*. Um, when he is not writing poetry. Uh, He can be found dabbling in the genre of micro-miniature art. And uh, his works include the Fera Mona Lisa, which is a very tiny yet sexually (laughs) receptive version of the Mona Lisa. And his most recent work is his pumpkin that he carved.
0: (laughs) I am so proud of it.
1: We are going to show for everybody and find out what's wrong with you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so first, first i want to i want to show which i'm going to put in so um i have a good friend named matt miller he's an excellent writer poet teacher surfer i mean there's nothing that matt miller can't do including carving a pumpkin and he posted his pumpkin pictures which are uh very elaborate and literary and just beaming with no. this talent and then and then you said um your pumpkin <laughs> uh, <So> you-
0: <laughs> i used to try a little, a little, bit, about, a little,
1: play little play. bit about the impetus behind your pumpkin michael
0: <laughs> for the past several years i used to do very elaborate ones i had these silhouettes i would do all literary themes i did peter pan and wendy i did the great gatsby scene you know, I had a Batman, you know, just kind of different characters from different genres of writing that I like. And I just I just can't do it anymore. And the the kids and Lydia are at the table and they have these nice little store brought store-bought like printout ones where they're doing it and it's all cute. And I just have this big pumpkin and this. Tiny little butthole of a face, um, just right in the middle of it. What are you carving it. with a needle? It. It's like <laughs> it's just like I just I like just picked it like out with my beetle, finger. Like... And I'm I I went maximalist before, and now I'm just I'm shrinking it down. I'm going minimalist. We wanted to say a little bit of something about Gerald Stern. um I am not. He passed away uh, just a couple days ago, a few days ago, October twenty seventh, and. Um, I've read some of his work. I can't say I'm an expert by any means, but um, his poem Lucky Life uh, from the book is one of those poems when I first read it just has stuck with me ever since. And the last bit of it is one that I often imitate and take stylistically for the repetition and just a lot of the things that he does. I just, I love the rhythms of it and I love the repetition of it. And I've used that technique over and over because of that poem. So I just wanted to read the last bit for everybody. And once again, Gerald Stern's Lucky Life. Lucky life is like this. Lucky there is an ocean to come to. Lucky you can judge yourself in this water. Lucky the waves are cold enough to wash out the meanness. Lucky you can be purified over and over again. Lucky there is the same cleanliness for everyone. Lucky life is like that. Lucky life. Oh, lucky life. Oh, lucky, lucky life. Lucky life. Mm. That was a bit by Gerald Stern. So a big toast to Gerald Stern wherever you are. Okay. Cheers.
1: Here's
0: Gerald Stern. I'm no expert by any means, but it's always nice to have one poem that really stands the test of time. I think that was written in the 70s, if I'm not mistaken, like early 70s. So I mean, a poem that's that many decades ago that is still so impactful Mm -hmm. to individuals and people collectively. So I just think kudos and what a wonderful piece. All right, A a little moment of sincerity from us
1: yeah it's
0: <laughs> like shockingly uncharacteristic but he has to say great. something
1: i did like the repetition in that poem because the poem that we mm-hmm. chose for today has has repetition as well um maybe not quite as obvious cornelius edie's crows in a strong wind. Yeah.
0: let's let's do it let's go
1: ready all
0: okay. right
1: you're gonna toast it or roast it
0: <sighs> let's find out Let's find Uh, out. Here we go. uh, Another, another edition of the Toaster Roast.
1: So, um, Crows in a Strong Wind by Cornelius E.D. Off go the crows from the roof. The crows can't hold on. They might as well be parched on an oil slick. Such an awkward dance, these gentlemen, and their spottled black coats. Such a tipsy dance, as if they didn't know where they were. Such a humorous dance, as they try to set things right, as the wind reduces them. Such a sorrowful dance. How embarrassing is love, when it goes wrong in front of everyone. This is a... uh, poem that is actually from Cornelius Edie's second book of poems I believe um, which is called uh, Victims of the Latest Dance Craze and it's a book that's very thematically based on on dance so uh, for just a little bit of context there I don't know if we really need it to discuss this poem but um, it does come from a book that talks about just the human instinct of dancing and that kind of thing I, I do like the poem Um, I, I like the, you know, (laughs) nature of it. Um, I, I do know, because I am a fan of Cornelius Edie, I do know that he, uh, his work is largely informed by, um, the modernist poets. Um, and so I, I see that in this poem very, very much how he is taking just a simple moment in time and very minimalist Mm-hmm. uh language you know uh just it's just explaining what he is viewing and i know last episode i i argued that this is a love poem and honestly uh, what i find most remarkable about this is because i think when you when you consider like the concept of modernism you know the no ideas but in things mm-hmm. That, you know, that line, which I think at this point has had many interpretations. My interpretation of it is that it's a little bit ironic, you know, to say no ideas, but in things that if you encapsulate a moment in time or a reaction to, um, you know, whether it's a, you know, a painting or a social situation or a, a, like a scene like Crows on the Roof, you're describing very simply what's going on, but letting the reader take that and with their own imagination you know they can come up with all sorts of ideas of their own you're not thrusting your idea of the poem into the reader's face you're you're basically offering them this nugget of language which is an interpretation of an observation and then from there you know we can take that and and kind of make our own judgments of the poem from there and and my mind is that you know by choosing the word love as that last you know the crescendo mm-hmm. of the poem uh it becomes a love poem to me it takes me right back to the beginning you know and i start to read it again as a love poem you know that kind of feeling of being you know high as a kite on love and then being <laughs> knocked off your pedestal love is all those words you know love is um like the repetition we were discussing, love is a, a kind of a dance. it's It's awkward. Yeah. It's tipsy. it's uh, you know, what else does it? What are the uh, you know, tipsy it's humorous, you know mm-hmm. and 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 many times almost inevitably, um, whether breakup or death or anything, it's sorrowful. you know you you kind of reread the poem in that way. He could have chosen mm-hmm. the word um, life over love you know mm-hmm. so to like end the poem instead of you know so, such a sorrowful dance how embarrassing is life you know when it goes wrong in front of everyone and then that would be uh, we would be having a completely different conversation
0: I agree so <clears throat> I think I do like that last part uh, about how it goes to love like that and I do think when you mentioned you know you could have substituted life it's kind of interesting because I I feel like you know, if your life goes wrong in front of everybody, I feel like that's like kind of game over. I mean, there's only so many times you can redo life, you know, but love, I feel like we, we, we try and fail and try and fail and try and fail. Um, so many times I think I've had, you know, not to go into it, but I've had many a failed relationship here and there. And, you know, oh, you, many. Oh. shocking, <laughs> but it happens. But you have these relationships and you you try and you fall in love and you fall out of love for whatever reason uh, and you have these moments where it's like you do so in very public ways and a lot of, and I love that it's in front of everyone. I love that last line about it being in front of everyone because when you wrap yourself you know with someone, you start sharing common groups you you know you, they meet your family or you have different, friend groups that kind of merge in all this stuff. And when it goes bad, it goes bad in front of everybody. So I do love that notion. I do think it's very accurate and embarrassing and awkward. And it has all those kind of aspects of what Edie describes in the crows movements and the dance, you know? So I, I do like that. I had a question for you. Uh, I actually did a little bit of research into the poem and I, people uh, read it. People read it as a funny poem, which I didn't. So I was very curious if you read it as kind of a funny poem, like tonally. I don't get really funny at all. <laughs> so I was very curious why other people did.
1: did. Did you like? Was there any context to like the the humor in, in it? You know, I
0: I literally think they were just playing off the uh, some of the words, the uh, like the awkward dance, humorous dance. You know, tipsy. There's a lot of these words that kind of imply humor, and the image we've all I assume a lot of us have seen birds kind of struggling in wind. So there is that kind of absurdity to that too. So I, I get that it is a humorous image, but I would never describe it as like a funny poem or a humorous poem.
1: Um, No, I didn't read it as, as a funny poem. I read it more as well, for, for one, the world is always in motion, right? You know, it, we're, it's constantly moving. We're, we are constantly rotating and moving and you know to to dance that's just mm-hmm. kind of like a strange uh human urge the act okay. the human act of dancing can yes. be hilarious uh, just as much as it can be an art um but it, i do think it's a human mm-hmm. urge just as much as love is um mm-hmm. and, and clunky too you know if you're you know especially approaching love not really understanding um what you're feeling or trying to get a grip of how to handle or or um you know whether it's falling apart on you or whatnot uh you know it can be perceived I guess as funny but I think that that this is what I love about the Mm -hmm. language of this poem because it is all those things yeah I guess it's funny Mm -hmm. it is also awkward it is also um you know you I loved the choice of, of tipsy over intoxicating because mm-hmm. intoxicating is such an often adjective that's used yeah. when describing love. And this is different, this is, you know, it's tipsy, you're clunky, you're, you know, you're you're totally not getting it right, but you're trying and you're feeling <laughs> something and, and trying to get your bearings. And so, uh, no, I don't think, I don't read it in its entirety as a humorous poem. But I Mm can see, I I do like how, how Edie brings in all these different adjectives to describe the situation, which are so different and yet so true holistically.
0: I like a lot of the language in the poem. Uh, Like you said, I do really enjoy that it is tipsy and not drunk, you know, there's that idea of it like you said being on that kind of precipice of going one way or the other like we've you know it's more like buzzed not drunk you know there's that kind of euphoria that you can get uh, right at that moment before you either become absurd or yeah. you become sober
1: yeah it's like to be tipsy opens up the ability to misstep William Carlos Williams he, he has a bunch of poems uh, I think called The Dance I don't know if you're, um, you know, some, some poets. It's been a while since we've read. Yeah. <laughs> William Carlos Williams is one that's been well for, for me, but, um, he does have a bunch of, of dance poems. So when I was reading the repetition of the word dance, um, I was kind of brought back to one of his dance poems and it's not identical to Cornelius Edie's poem, but uh, I thought it was interesting because he, it's an ekphrastic poem, and he's um, it's in a reaction to the artist uh, Bruegel. Uh, the painting's called the Kermis. It's a, a bunch of like peasants uh, ha- dancing, and and they're in celebration. And um, I mean, it's a, this is a short poem. I, I thought it was another interesting way to. Um, to sort of just explain or or kind of back up my feeling that, you know, using uh, language as a medium to convey uh, just what the observer is feeling, right? So like Edie right. is using this language, he's describing this moment, and it's not until you get to that, like, last line to really
0: mm-hmm.
1: start uh, building your own reader's interpretation of what the poem is about. That is what makes this style of poetry so great because it it does it by being so minimal in it's in its execution and and all you have to do is change that one word you know mm-hmm. love and ha- and it could change the entire poem yeah. I do think for just in terms of language I want I was curious when I reread this poem if this was something in Cornelius Edie's subconscious. Did I mention it's called the dance? <laughs> it's called
0: the dance. I think, think you might have.
1: Dancing is the theme. Poetry and dancing. Okay. Uh, in Bruegel's great picture, The Kermis, the dancers go round. They go round and around, the squeal and the blare and the tweedle of bagpipes, the bugle and fiddles tipping their bellies round as the thick-sided glasses whose wash they impound, their hips and their bellies off balance to turn them, kicking and rolling about the fairgrounds, swinging their butts, those shanks must be so sound to bear up under such rollicking measures, prance as they dance, and Bruegel's great picture, the Kermis. So, uh... Again, this idea of, you know, Mm -hmm. no idea but in things. This is just a literal, a literal, Mm -hmm. very minimalist language interpretation. You know, there's a lot that could be said about this poem. There's so much circular imagery around and around and around Mm -hmm. and around like dancing, around like skirts, you know, uh, and just circle of life. When you focus on a single moment in time like this, writing every detail of Of that particular moment you know it it, kind of leaves the reader to take lots of references away cultural references Mm -hmm. uh, you know just emotional references i know it's not a very similar poem to the one that we're discussing but it's Mm -hmm. that idea of just giving that image just using words as the medium to describe that image and kind of offering it to the reader I don't even know if you can call uh, Cornelius Edie's poem an ekphrastic poem. I don't know, you know, it might be a loose definition of an ekphrastic poem, yeah. um, but by by focusing on, uh, you know, poetry and observation alone, just mm. using your observation to describe what is happening, using certain words, being very particular about the word choice. it's It's so different. Than the poems mm-hmm. that we're reading now, um, you know, to regress back to modernism, I guess. But it is—it's very yeah. different than the these um, lyrical poems that we're seeing now, come through our mm-hmm. social media feeds, that are kind of just offering up the, you know, the poet's inner guts on a platter.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is very true. I mean, there is something very uh, withheld. Or re- I don't want to exactly say reserved, but there is a kind of you know reservation to some of the older poems when it comes to uh, emotion, let's say, or you know, and then you have the confessionals later who are also kind of letting it all out there and simultaneously trying to claim it wasn't necessarily them, which is always a great move. Love that. Shout out John Berryman. <laughs> I think uh, back to the Edie poem. I will go in with a little bit of a critique here. so i I am a huge fan of repetition in poems. I love using repetition, but I also want the repetition to either, you know, I always think of repetition as either an emphasis or almost like going up a spiral staircase, I say. it may hit the same point, but you're on a different level. So even if it's repeating, it has to do something. So I, I think about the poem. I think about the word dance so he has it going from like awkward dance to humorous dance to sorrowful dance and I do I do like that there is that transition but I'm also trying to figure out if that transition is earned so that's where I get a little bit of, a little bit hung up I can I can go with awkward I can go with humorous but having me go to sorrowful dance I am not completely there and it reminds me one of my favorite uses of repetition is in Robert Hayden's poem, Those Winter Sundays, which if someone out there hasn't read it, uh, you definitely should. But I think of the word cold in that poem. And so the poem, you know, it has, there's blue, black, cold, then the cold is splintering, breaking. And then later on, it's the father who had driven out the cold. So you have these very, you know, these repeating ideas of the, or, repeating kind of abstract notion of cold or literal idea of cold but the things are happening to it like it's becoming warmer it's breaking it's you know it starts off blue black and then it ends up being driven out and i think that poem definitely earns that kind of transition of cold and it's such a complicated poem and for me uh edie's poem crows in a strong wind is almost there for me i can like i can I'm with it like, like you know, like seventy percent of the way, but I'm not sure I'm completely sold on that transition. Okay. And I do like the last stanza, and the last line, but I just I, I don't have quite the same pull as, let's say, those winter Sundays.
1: Okay. Well, humor me this: so <laughs> to just circle back and and circle back, I'm intentionally mm-hmm. circle back to the uh, William Carlos Williams poem, "The Dance," mm-hmm. and um and the you know the all these images and repetitions like you like around Mm -hmm. around they're dancing around and around there's something Mm -hmm. circular about um that whole poem and Mm -hmm. and it's not as obvious in crows in a strong wind but if you were to you know if we're if we're considering crows as a metaphor for for love in which we don't have Mm -hmm. to could just take it on its face value let's let's pretend we're looking out the window and we're watching yeah. crows like at first you know the crows get caught up in a wind and like mm-hmm. oh like at first it's um you know it, it's it's awkward you know then it's tipsy then it you know it's as they're struggling you know it's circular they're you know i just i just imagine this 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 kind of when you're knocked off your pedestal of of life or even just mm-hmm. a um and just keep the urge to just circle back and get back circle back and get back and circle back and keep failing and failing and failing you know at the Mm -hmm. end like it becomes you kind of go through these stages of emotion of being like well that's awkward well that's you know they look kind of funny to the at the end being like you know if if they're not getting their their shit together like (laughs) that's sad like they never quite found their way back and And so I, I kind of get that those stages in Mm -hmm. in those sort of, you know, if, if we're comparing it to being human, whether it's Mm -hmm. love or any other uh, situation. Um, and that's why I do love, I I keep going back to loving that word choice of choosing Mm -hmm. the word love over life. Because if you chose life, people can insert whatever they feel, you know, a new job Mm -hmm. or, you know any kind of part of just living and and being kind of knocked down no matter how hard you try Th- that word choice makes it the poem special to me because it really it puts that fine point on it and i see those stages of what it's like to to fumble and just to try to get back there only to have it just fail that's what i have to say about that um. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're wrong take, take that I hear what you're saying I hear what you're saying it's you know it's a jolt just sort of a, a very yeah. very much uh unexpected uh jolt in well in this observational poem um that's just painting a picture of a very simple scene that we've all probably seen sometime in our lives and and I, yeah. I do think it's that last line that surprises mm-hmm. people and then it it makes people turn inward so you're watching like a an outward scene and then you kind of introspectively take it in and process it through your own experiences and that's how mm. it becomes meaningful to to the reader
0: there's a lot that i really do enjoy in the poem obviously and it's like it's always funny when you're talking about a poet who's you know essentially living legend at this point and it's just like, hi, I'm on a YouTube show, welcome. There's definitely, I love a lot of the language, like I said, um, and I I think my favorite line of the piece actually is, as the wind reduces them. Yeah. I love that word, reduces. Like yeah. that is just something I would have never thought to express in that way. And I think that line is, that line is gold for me. I just love it.
1: Who knows if we were gonna talk about this, but the Twitter controversy of everyone losing their blue... Their blue check mark on Twitter. (laughs) Because of the whole Uh, Elon Musk thing. You know, it's very similar to me watching discourse online about, you know, everyone's scrambling. They're gonna lose lose their blue um, check mark. And, you know, it's it's kind of when you're getting knocked off your pedestal, it's it's a very desperate, the desperation is real. And I I feel that in this poem, the desperate of watching these crows struggle to get back to where they once were and it's just not going to happen yeah
0: i i really like the fact that you brought up twitter and the blue check marks though because now every time i read this poem i'll just think of all the writers scrambling online trying to hold on to a little semblance of clout and following blue birds in a strong wind (laughs) by every twitter poet
1: all right well are we ready to are we are you feeling ready
0: all right I'm ready I am ready
1: all right well so. obviously I'm gonna go first you know what? I'm I okay. chose this poem. I love Cornelia Seedy I love this poem It's a special poem to me you know yeah. I love prose so <laughs> you <do>. I definitely toast <laughs> this poem I chose it. yes that is I choose toasting so your turn
0: fantastic well there is a lot I like about this Bunch poem. on the line.
1: Bunch up's on the line. Just, um, all right, go on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, there's a lot I like a, about the poem. Like I said, uh, the language is great on um, some of these lines. I love the image. The gentleman in their spotted black coats, I love. The wind reduces them. I like the word tipsy and embarrassing. This, it's not like detrimental, it's embarrassing. It's not necessarily something that ends your whole life, but it is something that, you know, it's your pride and ego are on the line. But I will say I enjoyed our talk about the poem more than the experience of sitting and reading the poem by myself. So I have to I have to admit, I, I I am gonna lean, I'm gonna roast this one. My very first roast.
1: <sighs> <laughs>
0: it's a little bit on the roasty side and it not strongly. It's not one that I had a visceral negative reaction to, obviously. It's a, you know, it's a strong poem in its own way and I can see why people would love it and would want to toast it. I get that. Um I, for me personally, like a, I, I felt there was just one little tiny bit missing, possibly, or possibly in the context of the whole book. If it's a more of a thematic book, I can see it being in there, kind of as a connective tissue of sorts. But as an individual piece, I, I was not able to fully get on board.
1: I do understand uh, the connective tissue of thematic uh, collections and how this fits within its own collection and how you have to, you know, when you're extracting mm-hmm. a single poem from from something that is within that, you know, within a, a particular mm-hmm. intention of threading something, uh, that it, it, it yeah. could not have it, the intended impact. But yeah. I disagree with you. Friendship is over and then we'll just have
0: <laughs> the show is done.
1: At least we kicked off the disagreement factor in our show which I you know I wasn't sure I thought maybe we'd just toast everything
0: yeah that would be not as fun I guess or authentic it would, it would just we would just become blurbs hey uh if you disagree with me or if you agree with me or disagree with Kate or agree with Kate uh, let us know in the comments we would love to hear from you or email us at table at gmail.com if you're afraid to post your opinions publicly feel free to post them privately to us like, we would just love to know what you think of the poem and whose viewpoints you agree with and whose you disagree with.
1: You had a poem you wanted to uh, bring up for next time?
0: I do, yeah. I am going to stick with the birds. Uh, a, a little more... Uh, it's a different bird, of course. But I would love everyone to check out The Moment I Saw a Pelican devour by Paige Lewis. Uh, I think you could find it online. Uh, I believe it was first published in Sixth Finch. Uh, Space Struck by Paige Lewis uh, is a uh, one of those books I think everyone should have. It came out what, two, three years ago? 2019. Uh, I think it is, I don't even know how much uh, press or praise it received, but regardless, no matter how much it did, I think it's underrated. You know, it deserves to be read widely and there needs to be a page lewis resurgence of this book
1: okay well i'm uh, very unfamiliar with their work so i'm I'm, I'm ready to dive in
0: it's so good but that's that's my opinion we'll see if you agree so this will be interesting yeah so i don't know all right well that is i think that's it i think that's everything we got let us know like i said email us table four deuce at gmail.com like us on facebook subscribe to our channel like we actually got two new subscribers which is woo! look at that i'm I'm still
1: working on the podcast i have a little hiccup but uh i will i you know this is why i married uh a technical genius so we're working on getting that podcast going but the first episode is up on podcast uh apple podcast and uh, we will have the subsequent episodes also funneling down that channel for people who don't want to see our face, which I totally just... understand.
0: <laughs> We're both just visual monsters <laughs> at this point. It's fine. Hi, well, thank well. you very much, as usual, Kate. Yes,
1: uh, it was a delight. And uh, till next time.
0: All right. Till next time, everybody. <laughs>
1: Don't ask me about poetry, I excel at making fun of Michael. You don't understand. This is like, I am, you know, struggling. I'm a struggling, (laughs) vaccinated individual. I am a vaccinated (laughs) (laughs) junkyard.